Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us. We don't know who's going to be sworn in as president on January 20th. By the end of the day, we might have a clearer picture. Uh, we'll talk about it all. We're brought to you today by ExpressVPN. Uh, secure yourself online. Get an extra three months of protection free at expressvpn.com martini. Not exactly the normal format today. We do have some good news. We've got some troubling news. We do have some crazy news, but uh, a lot of different places to go here. Uh, Jim, as of right now, depending on which news site you go with, uh, Joe Biden leads in the Electoral College either 227 to 213 or 238 to 213. Uh, those who have him at 238 have said that he's going to win in Arizona. That's one that uh, we were kind of iffy about yesterday. I thought it would inch towards Trump. You thought it would inch towards Biden. Uh, Fox News was the first one to call it for Biden. They have not backed down from that, despite major protests from the Trump campaign and others. There's some rumblings online that uh, Trump is catching up, but the official numbers still have it at about a 80 or thousand or so uh, lead for Biden right now in Arizona. Uh, but that's the only state so far that has flipped from uh, 2016. You have, uh, let's see, uh, several states that have still not been called. Nevada with a slight Biden lead, Michigan with a slight Biden lead, Wisconsin with a slight Biden lead, and the head of the elections there says there's no more ballots to count. So that would uh, suggest that Biden is probably likely to be um, declared the winner of Wisconsin. Uh, Pennsylvania's Trump still leads, but there's a lot of those mail-in ballots apparently to count. Uh, Trump still leads in uh, North Carolina. Nothing has changed in those numbers for a long time. Uh, Georgia says they'll be off the radar soon, whatever that means. I guess they're going to get their final numbers on the on the board soon. Uh, we it means st- they're going into stealth mode. <laughs> yes. We're, we're going to let everybody go crazy somewhere else. Um, Alaska's technically still not called. I'd be surprised if that didn't go to Trump. And uh, Maine's second congressional district has still not been called. So, uh, Jim, a, a lot to, uh, to check out here. I mean, uh, Trump was ahead in uh, Wisconsin by about 100,000 votes for much of the early morning, uh, by about 300,000 at times in Michigan, and then some huge dumps in, uh, in both of those places puts Biden ahead in Wisconsin, and also by about 30,000 votes as of this moment, early afternoon Wednesday in Michigan. Further complicating things are both campaigns now declaring that they've won. Biden didn't say that himself on Tuesday night, but uh, uh, Trump essentially got there. And he was very concerned about these states where he was ahead, but uh, officials in heavily Democratic areas decided to stop the count and pick up in the morning. Here's what he had to say about what he thinks is going on. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. And most people, at least on the right, are suggesting that was Trump's way of saying we don't want any more votes to be cast. Uh, Not necessarily not counted, but that was certainly how it was interpreted by some. Bob Bauer of the Biden campaign, he was a a legal big shot in the Obama administration. He's the head legal guy for the Biden campaign, saying this morning, quote, we are winning the election. We've won the election and we're going to defend 
that election. So both sides essentially saying they've won. And so, Jim, uh, the ugly scenario that we kind of feared could happen probably is going to happen here. Yeah. Uh, look, I think you did a very good job of going through all the key states. Uh, depending on whether or not you consider Arizona called. And at this point, I actually don't think it should be considered called. I'm hearing the same kind of things from GOP officials in the state, uh, Republicans who Trump's, you know, uh, campaign folks who say, look, there's still an outstanding vote out there. It's generally in Republican leaning areas. We think we can make up this margin. Arizona is going to be close. Every one of these states that have not yet been called are probably going to come down to one or two percentage points, if that, maybe less than a percentage point. So, you know, when Trump says we were winning, he was. He, he, he's got every good reason for it. And when he point, makes the argument there should be no more cast ballots, he's right. We can count the ballots. And in most places, as long as you're postmarked by Election Day, your absentee ballot should be counted. Pennsylvania is a big exception. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, this is shaking, shaping up in a, in a rather ugly way. Everybody was like, oh, I want a very decisive, clear victor on Election Night. Well, obviously, we don't have that. And the states that have not decided are pretty much all the really important ones, unless you want to, you know, other than maybe Florida, Ohio, uh, Iowa. In today's jolt, I talked about how Texas really never should have been on that list. Um, maybe if you want to squint and put New Mexico or Minnesota in that category, but uh, or Maine, I suppose. But by and large, look, the ones that, have, that don't have a definitive answer right now, whether you're looking at the New York Times website or Politico or any of these other accounts, are the really important ones, the Georgias and North Carolinas, the Blue Wall states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona and Nevada. Like, these are all important states here. Um, in Nevada, for example, everybody thought it was pretty reliably blue. Uh, Biden leads 8,000 votes right now. That's not a lot. So, uh, you know, this, is, this election, look, right now, I think it's more likely Biden wins. I think the argument that the remaining spaces in these states um, are, are generally more Democratic-leaning Wisconsin probably should be uh, called. Maybe by the time people listen to this podcast, it will have been officially called. Uh, interesting thought here on Pennsylvania, and that I was looking at that, doing the back of the envelope math of what's still outstanding. And uh, if you, last statement from the state officials, there are about a million outstanding votes, right? Uh, Trump leads by 472, 623 votes. So I looked at it, I'm like, that's got to split some huge margin in favor of Biden, something like 74 to 26. Uh, now, somebody said, look, these parts, this is Philadelphia. These are the really heavily Democratic parts. Yeah, they do split very heavily for Biden. They think the projection is something like 78 to 21. So I ran the numbers on that, and that does give Biden a win in uh, Pennsylvania. It's a really close one, about 100,000 votes. Comes down to about 50% to 48.6%. But if you change, as pointed out to me, if you change these ratios even just a little bit, if Trump gets 27% of what's left out there, he's going to narrowly win. So I don't think anybody can put Pennsylvania in that decided category. Um, I think the upshot is we're very likely to have a President Joe Biden, but I think there's going to be a cloud over his election. I think a lot of Republicans are going to look at this and say, wait a second, why is Nevada taking a day off? You know, every state knew they were a swing state. Every state knew that there was going to be real high interest in this election. Every state knew there's going to be a lot more absentees and people voting early because of the pandemic factor. Uh, this, this shouldn't have surprised anybody. And apparently last night in Philadelphia, Greg, they took a break because they wanted to 
either sleep or boo Santa Claus or throw batteries or whatever it is they do up in Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia. Philadelphia <laughs> listeners, you're, you're great. But anyway, you add all this up. I, look, I think this is going to be remembered as sort of like the Kennedy-Nixon 1960 race. The Democrat will win. Republicans will be grumbling for a long time that it was stolen. As long as this doesn't lead to violence and riots, I'm fine with that. Because you know what? It's kind of nonsense that the Pennsylvania Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, went out saying there's no legitimate way Trump can win this. He is an arsonist of public faith. The no postmark rule in Pennsylvania is horse pucky, and I could use another word. If Democrats want to play stupid games, they should win stupid prizes. If this is the way you guys want to win this election, your guy's going to have a cloud over his head, and that whatever meager uh, mandate he won by eking it out against an incumbent president who's got a pandemic and an economic recession going on, Joe Biden, it's a, you know, at this point, look, maybe somebody will quote this back to me and I'll look foolish. But at this moment, at right around a little bit afternoon on the Wednesday after Election Day, right now, Joe Biden's presidency, I'm going to say it's crippled, but it does not particularly seem strong if and whether it actually comes to pass. So, Jim, I want to go in the Wayback Machine, all the way back to, let's check the notes, yesterday. We were talking about uh, New Jersey and the fact that they weren't going to count any in-person votes until all the mail-in votes were counted, kind of the opposite of what's happening in most other places. And this is what you said. People have been very suspicious about, I believe it's the, the county around Gary, Indiana, uh, that tends to report last. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where whenever you're one place that's the last place to report, if you have zero results from them, and you have results from all the other counties in your state, that's when people start to get suspicious because it's, the sense is that they're waiting, okay, how many do we need, right? If we have one county in, in, uh, in, in any of these states tonight that has not reported anything when everybody else has, that's when your, your suspicious radar should go off. Okay, Jim, so there's obviously two different arguments here. Uh, Trump's argument and those uh, on the right would say this is – I don't know if it's unprecedented, but it's certainly odd, especially when you know you're a swing state, to just say, you know what, we're packing it up for the night. We're going to pick it up in the morning, uh, especially when Trump has the lead. And in most of these states, uh, Democrats uh, control the state government, and and they certainly do in these areas that have encountered. We saw it in uh, uh, we saw it in Wayne County. We saw it in Milwaukee. They had some precincts reporting, but then for large swaths of the night. Uh, nothing came in. So it feeds into this idea that they're waiting to see how many votes they need. The other side, of course, is the the Democrats in this case saying, look, we told you from the get-go that the in-person voting on Election Day was going to skew towards Trump and that the mail-in ballots, which take a long time to eventually count if the state doesn't already let you do it before Election Day or earlier that day, those are going to trend towards Biden. And that's what we're seeing now. So who's right? Who's wrong? Or are they both nuts? Well, one of the arguments you're seeing folks point out, which is a fair one, is that in these three blue wall states, there was a push to there. Some jurisdictions, some states count their ballots uh, well before Election Day. Uh, Florida is one. So it's one of the reasons why Florida was the first and quickest to have the results. And oh, by the way, for all the grief the state got about the 2000 recount, can we point out, let's give a little bit of a round of applause to the Sunshine State out in Florida for getting its count clear, well done, quickly. Uh, with clarity and unless I could tell no major uh, you know allegations of shenanigans or things like that. Ohio, which was an important state back in 2004, uh, also managed to uh, to get its count in relatively quickly. So look, the, you know there are some the fact that is this can be done in these states 
indicates it should be able to be done in just about every state. Now, some other states like Maine, they don't even begin counting the votes until after the polls closed. Now, some people might say, oh, that's fair. That's great. That's the best way to avoid anything. But this means your count's going to be late. So just recognize that is the cost of this. In those three blue wall states, there was a push to change the law so that they could start counting the vote that was coming in early, all the early absentees and in-person early votes, count them before election day. Republicans in the state legislatures opposed that. This is the consequence of that. So if you want to, you know, throw some brickbats at uh, Republicans in the state legislature, you can do that. But that having been said, by the way, also, if you're, if you're worried about the idea of them like manufacturing gobs and gobs of votes in these states, the good news is that there are poll watchers. There are Republican poll watchers in most of these places. And if the state party, if the county party, if the people on the ground aren't objecting to something, it probably means that there's no shenanigans going on. Right. That, that this is this would be their job. Right. This is you know, if you're a poll watcher on the Republican side, you have one job, which is to keep your eyes open for anything that doesn't look good. Now, it's worth pointing out in some parts of Philadelphia, they kept the poll watchers very far from where the ballots were being cast. So it's like you couldn't you were poll watching through binoculars, practically. It wasn't really effective poll watching. And the other thing is that in various places in Philadelphia, we talked about yesterday, um, there were people who were putting up signs right next to the door to the polling place. That's a violation of Pennsylvania state law. Right. So there were some shenanigans going on, not large scale, not the sort of thing where you'd say, oh, OK, this is going to swing a million votes. But it is the sort of thing where this is um, I think if there's any state where people are going to be claiming this was not a legit uh, result, this was uh, too much mis mischief going on. It's going to be Pennsylvania and it's going to be Pennsylvania because of things like this. But by the way, I don't think anyone who in these polling, you know, goes into a polling place undecided for president, sees a sign encouraging them to vote for Biden right by the door. And then decides because of that. That having been said, there are election laws, and it's disturbing that you know some people who were setting up the polling places did not enforce those election laws. Um, and again, I, I think that uh, Josh Shapiro is just a one-man wrecking ball for faith in the system, and he he ran for the wrong job. If he wants to be a, a cheerleader for the Democratic Party, go run to be state party chair. Don't run to be the state attorney general of Pennsylvania. No, that's exactly right. There was a massive dump of votes in Michigan today uh, that some folks said was about 140,000 uh, for Biden and none for Trump. So I don't know if that actually okay. happened. There were screenshots. I do of that. have an update on that, Greg. Okay, so go here's ahead. the thing. <laughs> when people do the, do, do the insert of, of all the data and they send it out, whether it's to the Associated Press or to the central you know, state website or things like that, you end up, people make mistakes. Apparently there was some traditionally deep red county that went blue and a bunch of people looked at, in, in Michigan and people were like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And Trump, no, it just turns out they transposed the results. They put the Trump <laughs> vote total in the Biden column. They put the Biden uh, vote total in the Trump column. They went, they fixed it. That got, got changed. In the case of the 150,000 votes that came out of nowhere, um, that was an extra zero. That was an extra, they, the decimal point was over in the wrong place. It was not 150,000, it was 15,000 which you might still think is weird, but at least now we're in the realm of, of you know, conceivable uh, possibilities. So people make errors. By and large, those are good faith errors, I think, although some people might wonder how often they go in the other direction. And if you look at it, you add it up, you run the numbers. Um, so far, there's no indication that somebody's manufacturing massive amounts of, you know, fraudulent votes or something like that. That having been said, this is a circumstance where we need a lot of faith in the system. And there are a whole bunch of people who are behaving irresponsibly, not just people who decide, yeah, we're going to call, we're, we're, we're going to go, we're, we're tired. So we're going to stop counting the votes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to take keep a nap. <laughs> yes. Sleep the day before or whatever. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, keep doing the job. It, it uh, increases faith in the system. So uh, you just heard that uh, sometimes there are computer mistakes, computer problems. Well, the last thing you want is to have your computer privacy compromised. Uh, whether it's on Election Day or any other time, and that's where ExpressVPN can be a huge advantage to you. It protects your privacy like you do uh, keep your privacy in any other way, Uh, closing the blinds, closing the curtains, whatever. But did you know that your Internet service provider, whether it's Comcast, Verizon, or anybody else, knows every single website that you visit? And what's worse is that they can sell this information, and they often do, to ad companies and tech giants who will then use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity will not be seen by anyone. You should be using ExpressVPN on all your devices because it works on everything. Phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. The best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you are protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So if you're like us and you believe that your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini today. Use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash martini, and you can get an extra three months of protection free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, we still have to get some clarity in the presidential race. We still need some clarity on the Senate races as well, but we're happy to report at least at this point that things are looking better than both of us uh, predicted yesterday. Some of the uh, Republicans in competitive races won easier uh, than we expected. Lindsey Graham won by double digits, despite $100 million being pumped into Jamie Harrison's coffers. Your dad, once again, has uh, had his ear to the ground very effectively there in um, in, in Southern South Carolina. Uh, Steve Daines wins in Montana. Joni Ernst wins by a handful of points in Iowa. Uh, Dan Sullivan hasn't been called yet in Alaska, but I don't see any reason so far to think that that won't happen. If that's the case, along with the Tommy Tuberville pickup in Alabama, should be 48-47 Republicans. Uh, two flips for the Democrats, Kelly in Arizona. I don't think that's in much contention anymore. Trump's much closer to Biden than McSally is to to Kelly. And uh, Hickenlooper, as expected, beat Cory Gardner in Colorado. We still have other uh, races that yet are yet to be called. You were all over Twitter last night saying, why can't North Carolina declare Tom Tillis the winner? There's only a few precincts left, and he's up by 100,000 votes. Um, we're t- we'll talk about the pollsters in the final martini and how bad they were, Jim. But uh, Susan Collins might be the biggest example of that if her numbers hold up. Right now, she's over 51% in Maine. And so even the ranked choice, if that holds up, won't affect her. She's going to be back for six more years, which is huge. Uh, and then in Georgia, uh, we know that the Kelly Leffler, uh, Raphael Warnock race was always going to go to a runoff. There are way too many people in that race. That's the um, the Johnny Isaacson seat. That's kind of the free for all. And then the other one that was already up, that's David Perdue against John Ossoff. Perdue is ahead by more than three and a half points. But in Georgia, you've got to get a majority. Right now, he's got 50.67 with 94% reporting. And based on what we're hearing, a lot of that is probably from predominantly Democratic areas. So if he clings to 50 percent, he's just barely going to do it. But that could also be headed to a runoff. So uh, Cocaine Mitch, who won handily last night, is he going to have a majority? 
At, at this point, Greg, it looks like he will. Uh, Greg, look, you and I have talked about what a lousy year this has been. And as, you know, Reaganite, traditional conservative, not necessarily Trumpy Republicans, but who try to give the president credit when he deserves it and criticize the president when he deserves that too. Greg, I'm feeling terrific. <laughs> this this turned out real. Because look, Trump may not win, but this was not the blue wave. This was not the stunning rebuke. This was, you know, no one's going to be singing about the praises of Joe Biden's political genius of hiding for, for the last couple of weeks. Um, Trump is probably going to lose by a very small margin. He won Florida. I mean, he won Florida's Latino votes or, or you know, by, by saying to move. The, I should say he, he didn't win. He, you know, came did perform much better amongst Latino votes uh, than Republicans traditionally do. It's a huge difference there. He won Ohio. Ohio turned out to be not that close. Iowa, almost certainly North Carolina <coughs> and probably Georgia. We're still waiting on that one. Um, we talked a bit about the vote count in, in Pennsylvania. He certainly didn't come far away from winning Pennsylvania. Um, and all of these states that were, you know, swing states, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, he's not losing by much more than like two percentage points. These are going to be probably 50 to 48. And right now, as of this uh, conversation, the popular vote, which Democrats like to talk about so much, is splitting 50.2 to 48.1. Now, it may get bigger. California traditionally has a whole bunch of votes that pile in there. But this is not the blowout uh, that people were predicting. There are a lot of depressed Democrats walking around today. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a person who's always trying to use a moisture evaporator to bring liberal tears uh, to hydrate myself. But this is this is a, you know, a pretty darn good turnout. And it's made better by the fact that the Republicans appear to have kept the Senate, which, by the way, most people did not expect to happen. Most people were expecting Republic it was going to be 50-50 if they're lucky, 51-49 if they're super lucky. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and probably Democrats would be gaining. And some people thought they'd pick up, you know, uh, 52 seats, 53 seats, 54 seats. You know, I don't know about you, Greg. All I want for Christmas is John James in the Senate. He is still in it. This count, this thing's going to come down to the wire. If John James wins, he's going to be a superstar. Um, man, Susan Collins was supposed to be toast. And right now she's hanging on. Um, you know, Tom Tillis, Greg, how many times do we talk about how Cal Cunningham was reaching out to women voters? Way too often in the wrong ways. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Tillis was not that weak a candidate. I, I, I again, I don't know what they're waiting to, to call on that one. Um, if Biden wins the, pre you know, Republicans should have the advantage in one or both recounts in Georgia. Right now, it looks like they might not have to go to a runoff in one of those races. Uh, and I just want to, you know, let's take a moment to talk about, you know, the, these national Democrats who fall in love with some sort of, uh, I call them the great Southern Democratic hopes. Beto O'Rourke was a good example of it. You can go back to Michelle Nunn. John Ossoff was one in a previous, uh, a uh, few years ago, that, that uh, special house election. Look, we probably predicted Amy McGrath was not going to come that close. She spent a ton of money, lost by 20 points. You know, I, I imagine right now there's some Kentucky Democrat who is beginning fundraising for the next run against Mitch McConnell six years from now. Democrats, you cannot beat cocaine Mitch. You should just stop, you know, pouring money into that sinkhole. No, they um, shouldn't. But the one no, that they shouldn't. really jumps out <laughs> is Lindsey Graham over Jamie Harrison. As of this point, he won by 14 points. 
this was not close. Jamie Harrison has the worst. It turns out I'm going to pronounce the name Jamie Harrison. Greg, Greg you and I both have spent time in, in the Low Country in South Carolina. Yes. I'm going to try to pronounce Jamie Harrison with an authentic South Carolina accent. You ready? Sure. Beto O'Rourke. That's what it sounds <laughs> like. You know, some people hear Yanni, but uh, you know, so again, you know, the, I, I am tired. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm not frustrated because I didn't spend $100 million to, to try to elect this guy. Democratic grassroots donors should be really furious about this. But you know what? Quinnipiac had, and this is kind of segueing to our next one, our, our next martini. Quinnipiac said that race was tied three times. And Lindsey Graham went out and won by 14 percentage points. Uh, oh, by the way, in the House, Republicans are picking up seats. I think it's five seats at this point. Democrats thought they were going to expand their majority. Didn't get a lot of attention, but Republicans... Uh, won all the governor's races they were supposed to uh, win last night. Nobody thought they'd have a chance in North Carolina. Roy Cooper was expected to win by a huge margin. He's up by four points right now. That's a respectable turnout. The low, the down ticket races, lieutenant governor, and all that other stuff. Uh, Republicans did well in the Tar Heel state. Um, we're you know we're we're a ways away from knowing how every state legislative race and all that kind of stuff. But by and large, Republicans showed up to vote yesterday, and they did pretty good. It was not necessarily a uh, it certainly wasn't a blue wave. I don't know if you characterize it as a red wave, but you know Republicans did decently, and you're probably going to have a President Biden, a smaller House majority, a narrow Republican majority. We got six Supreme Court justices who are, are generally rightward, depending on the mood of John Roberts. Greg, I don't know about you. I'm feeling fantastic this morning. There's still a long way to go here. Some interesting House races. There's way too many, of course, to keep track of all the way around. But um, your parents, uh, to bring them back up mm -hmm. again, uh, we'll have a Republican uh, member of Congress again. Nancy Mace did uh, defeat Cunningham there, which was generally always been a, a conservative district. Uh, the, the good night for the Republicans in Florida extended to two House seats in southern Florida, including what I think is going to be the uh, final political retirement for Donna Shalala down there. Also, remember the uh, Dan Crenshaw and his uh, five Top Gun friends there in that, that awesome ad? Uh, two of them won, two of them lost, and one has still not yet been called. Uh, one of the ones that uh, they did hold, though, was Texas 23, which is always a very tough race for Republicans. That's the seat that Will Hurd is retiring from, uh, and it's been uh, kind of bounced back and forth over the years. Uh, also, even though she got closer than any rational group of voters should have allowed her to, Wendy Davis has lost again in Texas, in Texas 21. Uh, Chip Roy was reelected there. Uh, the president's former doctor, Ronnie Jackson, is the new congressman from Texas 13. That's a deep Republican district. Uh Got to add a little bit of bad news, though. Uh, the squad is going to expand to at least five members now. Uh, the original four all got reelected easily, and now in Missouri, one. Uh, Cori Bush was easily elected because she beat uh, uh, Lacey Clay Jr. there in the primary. So uh, interesting uh, news on the on the House side. Uh, and then there's also some ballot initiatives. Uh, weed, once again, very popular uh, in a lot of different states, legalized for recreation, legalized for, uh, for growing, for medicinal purposes. Mississippi's got a new state flag without the Confederate battle flag being part of it. Uh, split vote on abortion. There's no constitutional right to an abortion now in the Louisiana Constitution. Colorado voters, though, denied a ban on abortion after 22 weeks. Uh, and then the good news out of California is that it looks like uh, the gig economy issue uh, was decided in the right way. And California voters also decided against racial preferences uh, that, the, that the Democrats wanted there. So, uh, again, some more things to be happy about. You know, Greg, I think probably a good way of wrapping up the upshot of, of, the, of all of these races as they look at this point. 
Uh, Michael Scherer is a pretty sharp guy. I think he writes for Time. Yes. Oh, he's now at the Washington Post. Yeah, he used to be with Time. And he summarized that, look, if Biden wins, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going to have a huge uphill climb to hold the House in 2022. And they're not likely to be a Democratic Senate anytime soon, which means the Democratic dream of unified government and your whatever your priority, whether it's single payer, the Green New Deal, repealing tax cuts for the rich, that dream is dimming. Greg, I don't know about you, but there are like four things I love in this world. My faith, my family, my friends, and this tweet. Oh, my God. Light doesn't do it. <laughs> Chef, you're telling me that, you know, the Democrats have a really tough uphill climb for the 2022 midterms. And then they got to hope for Biden being, you know, pulling a rabbit out of a hat again or running Kamala Harris. Greg, it, this is old Milwaukee time. It doesn't get any better than this. There's there's, you know, all that talk about, uh, you know, packing the court. Not going to happen. <laughs> all that talk about, a bet, you know, getting rid of the filibuster. Not going to happen. All of the worst scenarios at this point are off the table. I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to be walking around with a smile on my face for weeks. Well, let's let's finish the vote counting, especially uh, in these key battleground states for president and Senate, because we're not to 51 yet and we haven't decided who the president is yet. So hope springs eternal in a number of ways. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, Jim, we've alluded to it a couple of times here. Let's talk about the pollsters and how much they suck. Uh, We've got... You know, we talked about uh, the Lindsey Graham, Jamie Harrison race. We talked about how they thought it was going to be much closer in the presidential race in Ohio. Even the states where Biden, if he does eke out wins in Wisconsin and Michigan, most folks didn't have it that way. I mean, a lot of pollsters had Biden by double digits in Wisconsin. That's obviously not going to happen. Um, If Biden, in fact, wins, Trafalgar is going to be wrong about that. But I think overall, they're much closer on everything. I mean, you still, you still had some pollsters saying Biden by five in Florida at the end. Others had gotten it narrower just to maybe cover their backsides a little bit. But uh, Jim, either people are toying with the pollsters, people are ignoring the pollsters, so they're getting their sampling screwed up. Uh, pollsters just don't know what they're doing anymore. I mean, some of these, especially Quinnipiac, I mean, they got egg all over their face. Frank Luntz says the industry's destroyed. So uh, what's the reality here? First of all, Robert Kahali of Trafalgar is going to be an absolute superstar, and he deserves to be. And he had a quote in an interview with Rich Lowry a couple of weeks ago, which I think puts his finger on something pretty darn important. Um, he pointed out that Trafalgar does not ask a lot of questions in their surveys. They get in, ask a couple of questions, get out. And he said, look, I don't believe in long questionnaires. I think when you're calling up mom or dad on a school night and they're trying to get the kids dinner and get them to bed, and that phone rings at seven o'clock and this was to stop what they're doing and take a 25 to 30 question poll, no way. He says, you end up disproportionately representing the people who like to talk about politics, which is gonna skew towards the very, very conservative and the very, very liberal and the very, very bored. And the kind of people that win elections are the people in the middle. So I think they miss people in the middle when they do things that way. Um, the other point, which was really, I think, uh, uh, illuminating came from, uh, 
Patrick Ruffini, uh, Republican strategist, been around a long time. I'm looking at the numbers here, and we're looking at something like 136 million votes. We're, we still got some coming in, so let's say we're in the 140 category, 140 million. So maybe polling that first 90 million or 10, you know, 100 million people or, or getting a sense of what they think is pretty easy, right? Maybe, maybe the chunk of Americans who follow this stuff and when the phone rings, they're eager to talk about it and they can't wait to tell how much they, uh, they love the president or they can't stand the president and who they're gonna, they're, that's fine. But that other 50 million or maybe 70 million, so whatever that, you know, that group of people who are just not that into politics, but they vote certainly in presidential election years and they probably vote in a bunch of midterms and they're not going to answer the phone and they don't really feel like talking about it. And they certainly don't, they don't have the time or maybe they support the president and they don't really want anybody else to know about it because they know some people will jump down your throat over it. So add it all up, all a whole bunch of the criticisms of the polling industry heading into election day, 2020 was absolutely accurate. And Trafalgar got endless amounts of grief for going against the grain and he turned out to be right. Everybody else was wrong. And we can laugh about it, Greg. If you're a Democratic candidate and you were, you know, first of all, if you're if you're Jamie Harrison, like like we're, you know, besides how much you know, embarrassed you must feel of, you know, losing by 14 after having more money than anybody else had. By the way, you know who, who's, whose record he beat? Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> you know, th this this pattern of the polling tells Democrats they have a shot in certain races and then they don't. And oh, by the way, the polling says Republicans don't have a shot in certain places. And it turns out they do. Trump didn't just win Florida. He won by about three and a half times his margin last time. Uh, a whole bunch of these states said, oh, no, the, Republic, the Democratic blue walls, you know, was was solid as ever. The NBC had uh, Wisconsin had uh, Biden up 17. If he he's going to be lucky if he wins by a point, maybe maybe a point and a half. Right. Michigan, uh, one state after another. It's the same. Um, Nevada. I don't think Trump ever led in Nevada. Uh, or if he did, it was only one or two here. John Ralston, who I think of as a genius or, or probably covers the state as well as anybody, said, oh, no, this thing's, you know, uh, safely in the bag. Look, it looks like Biden's going to win by about eh, six tenths of a percentage point. That's not very much. So polling is broken. And from that polling, I think a lot of attitudes get shaped. Nobody, it, it shaped my attitudes, too. I, by the way, I'll point out, the only state that I'm, looks like I'm going to get, to, I'm definitely going to get wrong right now or at least I, I feel is wrong based on, on what we see right now is North Carolina. Um, we talk about Arizona's up in the air. I, I, I could see Trump winning Arizona. You know, it's, but by the way, when you end up having states down to like, you know, 10,000 votes, 20,000 votes, I'm not sure it's, you know, that stunning to see things go, uh, to go, to go the opposite way of you expect. But anyway, you know, look, the, the, the narrative of this year was that Biden was cruising towards a, a you know, demolishing of, of Trump, that this was going to be the blue wave. This was going to be once again, the Republicans were going to be, you know, forced back into being a rump regional party. No. Right. The pop, the national popular vote numbers were what, nine points, 10 points, 11 points. At this point, it's two points. Not a single pollster should be hired by any campaign until they can prove to somebody, no, no, we've accounted for what we got wrong this time and in 2016. By the way, we should point out that they actually got better in 2017, 2018, 2019. So maybe it's only in huge turnout presidential election years. I don't know. They they need to go back to the drawing board. And until they can prove, yes, we know what you're, we're doing, they have every reason, they deserve every bit of criticism they're going to get, and they're going to deserve every bit of skepticism they're going to get. And that's with so many races still uncalled here, Jim. So we've got plenty more to talk about the rest of the week. Get some rest. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. 
Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today, as always. Don't forget about our friends over at ExpressVPN. Get that internet protection at expressvpn.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to our podcast if you don't already. We also love those kind reviews and the five-star ratings. You can also get us on those home devices. Just say, play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Get some sleep yourself and join us again on Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.